Exodus chapter 18, we're turning back to that passage. A gracious relationship is what we have entitled our message this morning. Let's just unite our heart together, word of prayer. Father in heaven, we bless thee again for thy presence. Thank the Lord for the good singing of even these hymns and psalms. And O oh God, our worship, our praise is unto thee. And Lord, we pray that thou might come by, Lord, and come near to us as we come to thy word and to this passage. Give us understanding. O oh God, we know we need that understanding of the Holy Spirit. We need, Lord, that uh, teacher uh, of the Spirit of God to show us of the things of Christ. And we pray that I might instruct us even this morning. To that end, fill us with thy spirit and with power. Give me words from thyself that must and shall prevail. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. A leader will often be found to walk alone. Their task is to set forth their vision, to plot out the course ahead. And oftentimes, he does that alone. And while that plan or course is maybe communicated, yet it is not always bought into, it may be misunderstood, it may even be resisted, yet the leader must continue on. And that is true, men and women, none more so than the one who is over the flock of God. Oftentimes he is misunderstood, even resisted. Often he feels the loneliness of not able, being able to share problems that he hears from his congregation. To do so would indeed break their confidence in him. Think of how Moses must have felt. He had one time been surrounded by the courtiers in the palace of Pharaoh. All the pleasures and all the associations of high-ranking society officials were at his disposal. But yet we remember, of course, from the great chapter of the Hall of Faith that it reminds us that he chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy sin, the pleasures of it, for a season. For 40 years he had spent in the desert minding his father-in-law's sheep virtually alone. But of course he was married and that could have been a help to him. But then you recall that ere he went down into Egypt and to the deliverance of the children of Israel, he sent his wife and his children back to her father. We have that note in the words of verse 2 of this particular chapter. Then Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, took Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her back. So during the period in which it took for Moses and his dealings with Pharaoh and the eventual exodus of the children of Israel. We're probably looking at a period of 18 months or so. He hadn't even got the company of his wife or his family. And all the time he was a leader of possibly three million people. It is possible to be lonely in a crowd. And of that crowd, many misunderstood him. Others didn't appreciate him. The people, they rebelled again and again. But this chapter details how God was to give him the provision that he needed. And part of that we see in the opening words was the reunion of a family. And particularly of the arrival and the influence of Jethro, 
and have what he had upon this servant of the Lord, even upon Moses. Before we come into the context, I should draw you to consider the relationship of this visitor with Moses. And I put this to you because commentaries have commented upon this. It is so because there are various names given to him. If you look back at Exodus chapter 2, we're told that the father of Zipporah, who was to become, of course, the wife of Moses, and where he stayed in the home, was Ruel. Exodus chapter 2, verse 16. Now the priest of Midian had seven daughters, and they came and drew water and filled the trucks to water their father's flock. The shepherds came and drove them away. But Moses stood up and helped them and watered their flock. And when they came to Ruel, their father, he said, How is it that year comes so soon today? And we, of course, know the background or the ongoing word uh, that is found there, how Moses was invited into the home. And through uh, the period of time, he was to marry Zipporah. That was Ruel's daughter. Ruel then was his father-in-law. However, in Numbers chapter 10 and in Judges chapter 4, we also come across the name of Hobab. And in this passage, we're told it's Jethro. And they're all appended with the words, the father-in-law of Moses. That which may seem to be a contradiction pointed out by the skeptics of the Scriptures, of course, is quite easily answered when you understand and consider that in the Hebrew, the words, the father-in-law, actually means any relation by affinity in marriage. Any relation by affinity of marriage. So those words could also include brother-in-law, for, for example, and are translated indeed as such in other places. The relationship is determined by the context. And from this passage, it could be understood that Ruel was the father-in-law, Jethro was the brother-in-law, as was Hobab. And if Ruel was now dead or beyond capacity of his looking after his estate, then it would follow, of course, that the oldest son would assume the role of having his father's sheep. He would also assume the position of being a priest in Midian. And looking after Moses' wife and his two sons would also be logical as the inheritor of his father's estate. That Moses would be visited by Jethro and by Hobab would also be logical as Moses had lived in their home, and it was in this particular region that he minded the sheep. So it would be both convenient and it would be both expected as well. I put that out to you. You may never have come across that before. You may have done so. The only other explanation is that the one man has two or three different names. But please bear in mind what the Hebrew uh, understands and teaches by the words father-in-law. It is any relation in affinity of marriage. But whatever the relationship was, the lessons are still the same as we move even to these verses. I want you to notice his reception. It was just after the battle with Amalek. 
that we read of the return of the wife and the family of Moses. And presumably, Moses had sent them back to their homeland for their own safety. And while he dealt with the things in Egypt, they were there in their father's house. However, whatever the circumstances, the reunion of the family is now what is in focus. That meant his wife Zipporah was now back with Moses, and she was back along with the two sons. It's helpful for us that we are again told their names as given in verse 3, because they remind us of what God had done and worked in the life of Moses. Names in the scriptures are very important. They always have a meaning. A relevant meaning. Not like some names today. But the first one was Gershom because Gershom means foreigner or a stranger here. And that's what Moses had been in the land of Midian before he went to Egypt. He was a stranger. Moses had faith in God's promises. He knew that any place but Canaan, he was a stranger. And it's just like the child of God. It's just like the believer in this world. Men and women, this is not our home. We have a different citizenship now that we're saved. Our citizenship is in heaven. We are merely pilgrims and strangers that are passing through. To look at some of God's people, you wouldn't think it. Because they're so attached to this world. But we are pilgrims and we are a stranger here. That name could be placed upon every child of God. The name Elizair means God is my help. And that instructs us that God not only placed him where he was, but he also sustained him while he was in that strange land. And it was also a name, it was a prophecy with it, a prophetic note to it, that God would be his help. And therefore, it is in gratitude, it is in gratitude to God for his deliverance. But what we also are brought to see is this meeting that Moses had with this man, Jethro. It's not my intention to consider only Jethro's advice and counsel and how the people should be ruled, because you will bear in mind that a few months ago we actually come to this passage prior to the elections in the church. But it is rather to see the gracious manner in which Moses was to deal with this man. This man was a stranger. In terms of, he wasn't part of the nation of Israel. He was a priest of Midian. It seems from the words of verse 6 that a message must have been conveyed to Moses. It says, And he said unto Moses, I am thy father-in-law Jethro, and come unto thee, and thy wife, and and her two sons with her. That message was conveyed unto Moses about their arrival. Now that makes perfectly good sense. Because you know where we have come from in the previous chapter of the attack of Amalek and how he attacked them from the rear guard. And so guards may have been placed in these positions for the safety of the camp going forward. And so Jethro would have to wait outside the camp until Moses was to receive the message of their arrival. But having received that message of their arrival, do you see how he greets them? He does so in a very gracious manner. Moses, verse 7, went out to meet his father-in-law, did obeisance, and kissed him. And they asked each other of their welfare, and they came into the tent. Very gracious reception. This man wasn't an Israelite, yet Moses doesn't erect a barrier, but he receives him with open arms. His interest was only for genuine fellowship. And if you consider the words of verse 1, then you see the basis on which Jethro came and also on what basis the fellowship the one with the other had. 
It was because of what he had heard of what God had done. He probably had heard many a thing. It does reveal to us, of course, that the news of Israel's experience had traveled far and wide. The news of this great nation crossing over the Red Sea and dry ground. The nation been receiving manna from heaven. The nation even lately of defeating the Amalekites was news that could not be contained. And the one who had led them out was no longer a shepherd of earthly sheep, but he instead was a shepherd and leader of God's flock. Jethro had heard what the Lord had done. Moses had saw much accomplished ever since that time he had left the home of his father-in-law. His rise in prestige, it may have surprised Jethro and Hobab and others in their family. But you see, when a man moves in accordance to God's will, then great things can occur that will amaze others. You think of some of the great characters in church history down through the, the periods of time. You read their biography. I encourage you to read biographies and autobiographies. You'll see that many of them came from lowly parts of society and lowly homes and, and all of the rest. Yet God was to use them mightily. When he came, he was to hear more of what the Lord had done and that from a first-hand experience. I just love the words of verse 8. You can just picture them there in the tent. And Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done unto Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake and all the travail that had come upon them by the way and how the Lord delivered them. He sits down and he gives a summary of the last 18 months or so of all that God had done. And I want you to understand by that verse 8, you'll see the words of Moses were not a boasting of himself. They were not uh, giving his own exploits. Instead, the very opposite is the case because he is boasting of the Lord. That included the troubles. That included the triumphs that God had given them. It was what God had done, men and women. He brought the glory to him. And having done so, isn't it interesting what Jethro can do and say to do in verse 9? He joins in. Jethro rejoiced for all the goodness which the Lord had done to Israel, whom he had delivered out of the hand of the Egyptians. And Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who hath delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians, out of the hand of Pharaoh, who hath delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. He's joining in. That surely is an illustration of Psalm 34. Psalm 34 in the words of verse 2 says this, My soul shall make boast in the Lord. The humble shall hear thereof. And be glad. It's an encouragement for us to speak well of Christ before others. It also teaches us that we should have an interest in those who want to hear of what God has done. There seem to be very few today who are of the same mind. The knowledge that they have, in some cases, we might desire and see that it's not so much, and so we desire that it might increase. And in sharing of what God alone can do, we're bringing glory to the Lord. The gracious manner is in the way we deal with others. You see, the blessing this reception was to Jethro, 
This man hadn't seen the Red Sea divided. This man hadn't witnessed the great deliverance that God had given from the plagues and from the Egyptians. He hadn't eaten of the manna that had fallen from heaven. But Moses just receives him on the level where he was. He speaks of God before him. And that proved to be an encouragement to him when we hear what he says in verse 11. Now I know that the Lord and his capitalist Jehovah is greater than all gods. For in the thing wherein they dealt proudly, he was above them. He was a polytheist. He worshipped many gods. But he acknowledges that there's none like the Lord Jehovah. He hadn't a perfect knowledge of God. You see that? But having heard a personal word of testimony of all that the Lord had done from the lips of Moses, his faith deepened. The tide of blessing increased. Moses wasn't one who looked down upon him because he had a less knowledge of God than himself. He merely pointed him to the Lord God and he was an instrument in the spiritual furtherance of this man. Matthew Henry said, a gracious spirit is a precious or valuable spirit. It just shows how we can be used of God to help another in their walk with God, whether it be a new convert or whether it be one who is immature in their growth in Christ. And men and women, you, like I, will come across many people today, and they may be churchgoers, but they don't know God's Word. And their knowledge of the Lord is very shallow. And you can be an, an instrument and a help to encourage and increase their knowledge of the Lord. You come to the book of Acts. You, you, you think of an example here. Acts chapter 18. Acts chapter 18, verse 24. We come across a couple, Aquila and Priscilla. Now, of course, it's... Uh, On in, in in the ministry of the Apostle Paul, it's further on in in the uh, missionary journeys that he had. But verse 24, we're introduced to a particular man called Apollos. And a certain Jew named Apollos, born at Alexandria, an eloquent man, and mighty in the Scriptures, came to Ephesus. So Alexandria is a completely different part of the world to to Ephesus. But this man, in the providence of God, was brought there. This man was instructed in the way of the Lord, and being fervent in the Spirit, he spake and taught diligently the things of the Lord, knowing only the baptism of John. And he began to speak boldly in the synagogue, whom, when Aquila and Priscilla had heard, they took him unto them and expounded unto him the way of God more perfectly. They, they, they had just got a little glimpse of what he knew. And he spoke boldly. And, and he was mighty in many ways. But they took this man aside and they expounded unto him the way of the Lord. More perfectly. And when he was disposed to pass into Achaia, the brethren wrote, exhorting the disciples to receive him, who when he was come helped them much which had believed through grace. What a blessing he was to others. But it was because of that married couple that they took him unto them and they expounded unto him more perfectly. 
without exception, there's not one of us don't need to be taught. We're always learning. Remember that. You don't know it all. Neither do I. Especially when it comes to the things of God. And here's Moses, and he's an instrument in the spiritual furtherance of this man. And you know, there's a benefit for Moses as well. Being convinced of the supremacy of the God of Moses, Jethro was to take a sacrifice and offerings. And they all came, they ate bread together before the Lord, together with the elders and Aaron. There was a fellowshipping one with another. And that's only the, the means in which we can fellowship with each other. What is it? It's on the grounds of the sacrifice. It's on the grounds of the shed blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. I do not fellowship with those in that sense who do not believe in the sacrificial death of Christ, who are not saved and washed in the Savior's precious blood. I do not sit down with the local Roman Catholic priest, for example, or stand with him on a platform because that basis isn't there. That foundation isn't there. It's only through Christ who offered that once for all sacrifice for sin that we have any fellowship. 1 John 1 verse 7. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Fellowship, fellows in the same ship. Break it down. And there's the basis of their fellowship here. It was on the basis of the sacrifice and the offering. Let me show you his response. How do you respond to others who come across our path? No doubt there's those that come across your path and they have their opinions and their ideas and they'll have their ideologies in the workplace and they'll want to share them with you. How do you cope with them? You cast them off immediately. Look at how Moses was to respond to this man Jethro. It wasn't long before he expressed his ideas. In fact, we're told it was the morning after. Verse 17. And Moses' father-in-law said unto him, The thing that thou doest is not good. He had observed what he had been doing the day before. But how does Moses respond? Surely there was a gracious acceptance. He didn't tell him to mind his own business. He didn't establish that he was the leader and that it was he that would give the orders. He didn't tell him, well, we've done very well without you, Jethro, up until this time. But he evidenced a gracious spirit in accepting what he had said. Remember, that spirit is also noted with Christ. For it was said of him in a rebuttal manner, this man receiveth sinners. And eateth with them. And what was true of the Savior is also true, uh, of course, to be true of this church. When you consider what Paul writes in Romans 15, verse 7, he says, Wherefore receive ye one another, as Christ also received us to the glory of God. I've said this before, I pray that my congregation will be a friendly congregation. We're praying that strangers and visitors will come in, that they will feel at home, that they'll be welcomed, that they'll not sit down on a pew beside some of you and go out and not have them been spoken to. Be friendly. 
And of course, we can go on with God's people in Galatians chapter 6, we're to bear one another's burdens. And there's those that are sick in our congregation this morning, and we're sick with them. We enter into the, 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 the situation they're in. There's those that are rejoicing in the congregation, and we rejoice with them. There's a genuine attendance to what he said here. He listened to what the plan was from Jethro about how to deal with the small and the great matters that came before the people. He believed it would be for the good of Moses and for that help to maintain peace in the camp. You look at the words of verse 22. I know we didn't read it earlier on. Let them judge the people at all seasons and shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge, so shall it be easier for thyself." And they shall bear the burdens with thee. If thou shalt do this thing, and God command thee so, then thou shalt be able to endure. And all this people shall also go to their place in peace. It was for their good. Don't forget this was a man that God had chosen to lead the nation of Israel out of Egypt. But yet when Jethro comes with his advice, he receives it. He embraces it with a spirit of humility and wisdom. And men and women, we do thank God for those who have instructed us down through the years. I have a great respect for the older generation. I've learned so much from them. And you know, you can do one of two things with advice. You can take it or you can throw it out. You can reject it. And Moses believed it was good advice. And Jethro, I noticed there in verse 23, he inserts it, if God command thee so. He didn't leave God out of it. If God command you to do this. I've read commentators and they're very much against Jethro. They, they, they consider him to be an enemy. I'm not so sure of that. But there is a general adherence to this advice. He doesn't hesitate to put it into action. But we are told that he hearkened unto the voice of his father-in-law, verse 24, and did all that he had said. And he did so without any alterations. He did so without any modifications to the plan. For this plan of Jethro in the face of it was sensible. It was workable. Instead of Moses sitting all day listening to the little things and the bigger things and the medium things, here was a plan which it would be, uh, enable Moses not to be weared down and weared out. Judges would be raised up against uh, over other peoples and they could hear the smaller matters, the larger matters still brought to, to Moses. It was a sensible, it was workable, albeit it was somewhat overbearing plan on the number of judges that would have to be in position for the great numbers of Israel that were involved. That's the one piece that I can see a, a, a failure in. You see, when God calls, he equips with a spirit. God calls, remember that. He equips with a spirit. God calls a man into the ministry. The college doesn't give him his gifts. God gives the gifts. He gives his spirit. The college knocks off the rough edges and we have plenty of those. But whom God calls, he equips. Numbers chapter 11, verse 25, listen to this. 
And the Lord came down in a cloud, spake unto him, and took of the Spirit that was upon him, and gave it unto the seventy elders. And it came to pass that when the Spirit rested upon them, they prophesied and did not cease. God just set apart seventy. And the Spirit that was upon Moses was placed on them as well. Without the Spirit, thousands cannot do the work of one. But with the Spirit, one can do the work of a thousand. God can speak, of course, by various means, but it ought to be that we're ready to receive it. It might come from an unexpected source. Men and women, if God can speak through the mouth of an ass, He can use anyone. And didn't He speak to Balaam through the mouth of an ass? But the important matter is not only to be hearers of the word, but doers of the word as well. A message from God is to be implemented in life. C.H. Spurgeon said, the buds of hearing are to become the fruits of obedience. His response. Let me just close out our meeting this morning with his relationship. Moses enacted the plan with immediate effect. You look at verse 25. Moses chose able men out of all Israel, made them heads over the people, rulers of thousands, rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifties, rulers of tens, and they judged the people at all seasons, the hard cases. They brought unto Moses with every small matter. They judged themselves. By doing so, by involving more in the governance of the body, there were more relationships formed. Besides the obvious family ties, There's a great reunion here of the family with his wife and sons. But there was a relationship with the people as well. It's important to underline that they weren't any people, they were God's people. The people whom God had redeemed by the blood of the Passover lamb. When the children of Israel were at their worst, when they did their worst, they were still God's people. The covenant wasn't broken, neither is it with us today. Oh, men and women, listen, we're no different. There's times that we murmur. There's times that we're disobedient. There's times we're full of doubt and we tempt the Lord just as Israel did. But the Lord doesn't cast us off. We're yet joined unto Christ in that unbreakable union. Romans 8, that not even death can sever. The plan of Jethro helped to encourage that relationship between Moses and the people. But then there's the place that is in focus here. The plan was set in motion, verse 5, within the camp. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons, his wife, unto Moses into the wilderness where he encamped at the Mount of God. The leaders were set over the hundreds or thousands. The cases, whether difficult or small, were heard within the camp. The place of the camp was where new relationships were being formed. Moses had a new relationship as leader over the people. Then there were the chosen heads who had new relationships with the people. And being placed in those various groups, the people had new relationships with each other. I try and picture that scene for you because that's a reflection of how it is in the church. As believers, we all have our place. One is important as the other. 
There are the different gifts that God has given to be used for his glory and for the aid of others. Some are gifted to lead the fifties. Some are gifted to lead the hundreds. Many, most of us, are just gifted for the tens to lead them. But we are laborers together with God. And it is with the help of God's Spirit that God uses each one of us. For we read in Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 12, for the perfecting of the saints, for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ. There's the purpose. That's my task. To edify the saints of God for the work of the ministry, for the edifying of the body of Christ in this place. And each one of you who are saved can be a part in that plan as well. To think that this was all preparation for the greater blessing. You know, if we stop and pause and just take a little overview, it seems looking back at what happened at Marah, the better waters there was preparation for Elam. And the blessings of Elam prepared them for Rephidim. And the battle of Rephidim prepared them for now. And the present would prepare them for the future. What was the future, the immediate future? It was the command of the Lord to construct the tabernacle. That movable structure that indicated God's presence in their very midst. And Moses wouldn't have to provide the gold or the cloth, the material or the curtains because God, through this gracious plan, had the workers in place. The stuff had already been taken as spoils from the Egyptians. And so through submitting to one another and giving and laboring together, that tabernacle would become a reality. And the relationships are here been formed. It just reminds us, no matter how insignificant we might feel, that God has been pleased for us to be part of his greater plan and purpose. Listen to me. Whoever you are this morning, wherever you feel you are, and the scale of things and all of that, God works with who we are, what we are, and where we are. You might be the farmer today that's working with a cattle throughout the week. God has you there, and he can work with you there, with who you come across that I'll never see. He works with who we are, what we are, where we are, and our relationship with people to prepare us for the greater blessing. May we seek to deal with those people that come across our lives graciously. And with the aim, the sole aim for the extension and advancement of Christ's kingdom and his purposes. With the spirit of John the Baptist, he must increase. I must decrease. If we're exalted on the pedestal this morning, by God's grace, when we get off it. Now, we think that if we think we are somebody this morning, in God's name, forget it. 
or nothing apart from the Lord. A gracious relationship. May the Lord bless His Word for hearts this morning for His own name's sake. 419 just stand and sing in closing. May the mind of Christ, my Savior, live in me from day to day by His love and power controlling all I do and say. Page 346, that's 419. Let's stand as we sing it. Father, we thank Thee for Thy Word that has come as a challenge to our hearts. And, O God, we pray and desire to be that channel of blessing. We desire, Lord, that others may, Lord, not see us, but see Christ in us, and He might be glorified. Lord, that we might graciously deal with those who don't know Thee. Or, Lord, in a case where there's a shallow knowledge of Thee, We pray that we might be those instruments in God's hand. Lord, we pray that would speak on when the preacher's voice is silent. Give us a blessed Sabbath. Maybe meditate upon thy word even this afternoon. Bless again tonight and I will bring each one back again. Bless thy young servant that will come into the midst. For we ask these things in our Saviour's name. For God's eternal glory. Amen.